Hello, Jubilee Church. Really good to be with you today. I'm speaking to you from uh, our church in Paul. You may know if you've been watching the news recently that the sun always shines in Bournemouth and Paul, but our beaches are always overcrowded. Uh, but it's really good to be with you today. And uh, by the miracle of technology, I'm actually preaching today to my home church here at Gateway in Paul uh, with a different message to you up there in Seaside. Now, I know that uh, you've been looking together at uh, heroes of the faith, really, that we find described in Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter on faith in the New Testament. And today we're going to look at Sarah uh, and the faith of Sarah. We're going to read, first of all, just one verse from Hebrews chapter 11, and that's verse 11, where we read, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And immediately we read that, uh, we think to ourselves perhaps, hey, haven't we got a problem here? Because if we look back to the stories of Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, the one thing that Sarah didn't seem to have with regard to having a child was faith. So in order to understand uh, what we're reading here in Hebrews 11, it's good to go back to the Old Testament story, back to the book of Genesis, and give some background information uh, to this event. And so in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1, we read, Now Sarai, and that was uh, Sarah's name before it was changed to Sarah, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And so Sarah was, was barren. She hadn't had any children. And uh, she herself considered that, in fact, God had caused that to happen. Uh, so she says to her husband, Abraham, look, go and sleep with my maid called Hagar. And uh, perhaps she'll get pregnant, have a baby, and we can raise up a child within our own family. And, of course, that's exactly what happened to begin with, in the sense that Abraham did sleep with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But then uh, Sarah became increasingly jealous of her and her ability to conceive a child, and so the whole thing didn't work out well at all. And so we need to move on in the story and go into Genesis chapter 17 and verse 15, where Abraham receives a promise. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Uh, now, you've got to bear in mind when Abraham gets this promise that he is actually 99 years of age and Sarah is 90 years of age. And yet they get a promise or Abraham gets the promise that they will have a son. And then move on in the story again into Genesis chapter 18. And we find here that three visitors come to the tent 
where Abraham and Sarah are living. They are a nomadic couple at this time. They're kind of wandering around, living in a tent. And these three visitors come to visit them at their tents. And they speak, first of all, to Abraham. It's there in Genesis 18 and verse 9. They say, where is your wife, Sarah? There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. And all that is the background to verse 11 of Hebrews 11. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. But it doesn't sound from the Genesis story, does it, as though she had faith. Now, I need also to mention at this point that because we have different translations, sometimes, although we're blessed with these different translations, they can throw up a certain ambiguity for us. And so we see through these different modern translations that it is possible to understand the faith that's been referred to here in verse 11 as Abraham's faith rather than Sarah's faith. There's an ambiguity in the Greek which is reflected across the different translations. But I guess that most of you have probably got the most updated version of the NIV or the ESV and they refer to the faith being Sarah's faith and so we're going to go with that. However, in a way, the ambiguity doesn't matter whether it was Abraham's faith or Sarah's faith that's being referred to here because Sarah clearly did come to a point of faith on this issue. How do I know this? Well, to put it bluntly, she had sex with her husband, Abraham. And you've got to see that, of course, in context. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, with Sarah overhearing from behind a tent flap, as it were, uh, overhearing that they were going to receive a son, they got that promise, and uh, she laughs because they're both so old. I mean, they are very old. They are Prince Philip old. Let's face it, they're too old, really, for sex. And uh, I remember when I was pastoring a church years ago that there were a couple of teenagers in the church, and they had parents in their early 40s. And these teenagers were astonished, amazed, bewildered when they found out that their parents were still having sex in their early 40s. But uh, this couple, Abraham and Sarah, I mean... They really are very old indeed. But something like this must have happened. After the promise was given, Abraham and Sarah are sitting down one night and having a meal. And Abraham looks across at Sarah and he says to her, tonight's the night. Now remember, he's 99 and the scripture here goes on to say that he was as good as dead. That's how he's described. Sarah herself is 90. But Sarah obviously came to a point of believing the promise of God. Clearly they have sex together and nine months later uh, a son is born to them. Again verse 11, 
And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. So I'm saying, indeed, Sarah was a woman of faith. And we're going to pick out just a few points from this story. First of all, faith can begin with doubt. We don't always believe full on for something immediately. Sometimes faith has to grow in us. Uh, One example of this in the New Testament is uh, the man referred to so often as doubting Thomas, although in a way, because of what he came to confess, we should really speak of him as believing Thomas. Remember how Thomas came to that point of saying to Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. But he began in a place of doubt because Jesus had risen from the dead. But when he made his first resurrection appearances, Thomas wasn't around. And Thomas was left there struggling, saying, surely it's impossible that somebody could be raised from the dead. But of course, all that was to change. He saw Jesus and he confessed him to be my Lord and my God. He became, of course, a staunch believer. Now, in the story of Sarah, she considers her body. She considers her 99-year-old husband. He's as good as dead, the scripture says. A baby? Well, that just seems utterly impossible. And in a way, we can't really blame her for thinking like that. But clearly, she grew in faith. You remember a story in the New Testament where Jesus comes down the Mount of Transfiguration and as he reaches the bottom of the mountain, uh, there's a man that comes up to him is desperately worried about his son. His son is uh, really kind of disabled. Uh, He's uh, uh, at risk of his life. He wants to throw himself into a fire. Uh, He's in a terrible state. And this man comes up to Jesus so concerned about his son and says, if you can help us, Jesus says, if I can. And this man was not in a place of strong faith. In fact, he had had his doubts compounded by the actions of the disciples because they tried to uh, get this boy well. They tried to see him healed and uh, nothing good had happened. And so he says, I do believe. This man says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Surely we've all been there. Faith sometimes begins with doubt. Now, I just want to apply that to the fact that currently we're just about to emerge somewhat from this lockdown situation with the coronavirus. And my friends, I think we will all tend to emerge at different levels of doubt and faith. There'll be some that will be saying, hey, let's go for it. Uh, God will protect us. Others will be much more cautious and will have their doubts and fears about doing things too quickly. And they want to proceed very slowly. We all need to be very patient with one another at this time. Uh, Faith sometimes begins with doubt. And we mustn't put pressure on one another and let the subject of how we emerge from this lockdown, the different levels of doubt and faith, actually become divisive amongst us. Sometimes faith does begin with doubt and has to grow. Now, the next thing that we will see from this story is that our faith must be in God. If I was to ask you the question, why are we saved? I hope you'd say something like, well, because of the work of Christ. Or why do we have a hope of heaven? Because uh, of what has been done through the work of Christ. Because of Christ alone, I have a hope of heaven. 
Why should we have an eternal life? Well, it's because I've trusted Christ and because what he has done for me. As evangelical Christians, well taught, I'm sure, we know that our salvation is all of God and we trust in him alone for our salvation. In fact, it's something that really helps us with our assurance of salvation. I think as the years go by, more and more I come to recognise personally that if it depended on me in any way, if my salvation was dependent on what I've done or who I am in any way, then I'd have blown it uh, thousands of times. I'd have no hope. The fact that I have assurance of salvation is deeply rooted in the fact that it is Christ, God's work through the person of Christ, that is all I need in order to be saved. But it can be very easy sometimes to move from issues of salvation and eternity to what happens in our life now and for our focus to fall back onto ourselves and even onto our own attempts at faith. We can come at it like this. If, if, I, if I can just make myself believe hard enough, then what I want to happen will happen. Uh, And we subtly shift from faith in God to faith in faith. If I can work up enough faith, if I can just believe hard enough, then, in fact, I can see what I want to happen actually happen. My friends, it's so important that always our faith is in God. I've been very helped by this statement by John Calvin, who said, Faith means the sure and firm conviction that God is faithful. Do you remember that story in the Old Testament of Daniel's three friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who uh, were up before King Nebuchadnezzar because they had failed to uh, worship before a golden statue that he had erected. And he's speaking to them and he's warning them and says that if you don't worship before this statue that in fact what is going to happen is I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace and that will be the end of you. He says, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and this is in Daniel 3 verse 16, replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And what we see in these three brave men is they have an absolute faith in the faithfulness of God. And they know that God is able to deliver them. And they believe that he will. But they say, even if God does not deliver us, we will still trust in him. We believe in a faithful God and we will not bow down and worship before the image of gold. Interestingly, that's also worked through here in Hebrews chapter 11. If you go to verse 32 of this chapter, uh, we'll see this principle coming through. We read there, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, notice this, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice 
and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and please note this, and escaped the edge of the sword. But then go down to verse uh, uh, 37, and this is what we read. Uh, Now, you need to understand here that the controlling phrase here is still and by faith. And so you can bring that in before verse 37 and read it like this. And by faith, they were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. Do you notice that? That through faith, there were those that were delivered from the sword. And by faith, there were those that were killed by the sword. All were living in faith. It wasn't a case of some saying, if I can just believe hard enough, if I can work up enough faith, then I'll also get delivered from the sword. No, these men and women lived and died by faith in the faithfulness of God. And so whatever, God will deliver us. He will either deliver us from death, but if not, he will deliver us in death. Our faith must not be in faith. It must be faith in the faithfulness of God. And then the third thing that I would suggest we can take from this story, it's important that we attach ourselves to people of faith. Abraham was a man of faith, and in fact, he was famous for that. If you go to Romans chapter 4, you can see that the Apostle Paul uses Abraham as a model example of faith. He speaks about the faith of Abraham and how he was credited as righteous because of that faith. And if you read through the chapter there, Romans 4, you'll see that very clearly. If you just want to read a couple of verses, read Romans 4, 19 and 20, and it makes very clear what a model of faith Abraham was. You can check it out there. So we must see here that Sarah was, in fact, attached to a man of faith. And that must have helped her own faith. And when it came to this promise that they would have a son, she came to a point alongside her husband and his faith that she could believe that God would deliver on his promise. Uh, I remember years ago when we were going through our huge building program when I was in the Brighton church, that we had an issue uh, with the tax office over the payments of VAT. Uh, The law at that time was a bit grey, and I think it's been uh, clarified since then. Uh, But uh, at the time, we were being charged VAT on our new building, and we felt that we had a case that uh, we didn't actually have to pay the VAT. And you can imagine this became quite complex. And I remember one night, we had a prayer meeting about this, and Uh, During the prayer meeting, a young man got up to pray, and as I remember, it went somewhat like this. He started off by praying that God would show us favour, and that we would get a victory in this situation, and that we'd get the VAT paid back. And as he prayed on, his faith got stronger and stronger. And so by the end of the prayer, he was thanking God for the fact that the VAT would be returned to us. And I, I was there, as it were, alongside him, and I was hearing him pray, and as his prayer faith rose so my faith rose so that by the end of the prayer I was kind of there with him believing that this VAT would get repaid as it happened uh, the case went right up finally to the house of lords and we won the issue and we got the VAT repaid to us with great rejoicing of course I've often said that uh, working alongside Terry Virgo for many years, that it was my privilege really to catch hold of his faith in a number of things. 
If you attach yourself to people of faith, then it raises your own faith. And that's a very good reason why we should be attending prayer meetings. Now, I'm never particularly keen on the term prayer meeting. Uh, I think we get very familiar with it, but uh, in a way, a prayer meeting really is a school of faith. It's an academy of faith that gives an opportunity for us to say, God, we can't do this. We're looking to you and to your faithfulness. And when we pray alongside other people, we attach ourselves to people of faith, and that raises our faith. And you know how in a prayer meeting sometimes people will bring scriptures and that can raise our faith. Or someone will give a testimony and that will raise our faith. Or we hear other people praying and that too can catch us up in belief and raise our faith again. And so it's very important to attach ourselves to people of faith. And a prayer meeting is a great opportunity for that to happen. And then fourthly, we need to remind ourselves that with God, anything is possible. Do you remember how that came out in the story of uh, that uh, meeting with Abraham and Sarah and the proclamation and the promise that they would have a son? And when Sarah laughs because she has doubt, the response that comes is this, is anything too hard for the Lord? And surely that's what we are reaching for in faith, the faithfulness of God, which means that nothing is too hard for God. In Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 17, this gets repeated. The prophet says, nothing is too hard for you. And later in that same chapter, God responds to Jeremiah in verse 27 and says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind, is anything too hard for me? We need to really meditate on promises like that from God's word. And then it helps us when we come to a scripture like James chapter 4 and verse 2. That's just the, the next book, of course, after the book of Hebrews. We come then to James. And here in James 4 and verse 2, we read, You do not have because you do not ask God. And we need to read that hearing in our mind. Is anything too hard for God? The declaration that God makes that nothing is too hard for me. But James does go on and say, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so we've got to be careful that when we bring our prayers that we don't trivialise them by just kind of asking God for things that was, would, as it were, just play into our pleasures. But really, we're asking God for those things that he has promised and which is possible for him because he is the living God. Uh, now, we're living in a strange time. Uh, we've probably gone for weeks, if not months now, without any kind of physical meeting together. Uh, there are people that we haven't seen for weeks or again, even for months. Uh, we may well be fed up by now with doing a zoom, zoom, zoom around the room, room, room. Uh, and it's possible that some of us are thinking, how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to come out of this? Uh, what's the shape of the church going to be? How are things going to look when we come through? I think we need to grab hold of the promises of God at this point And remember indeed that God has said, nothing is too hard for me. So what are you looking for? What are you praying for as we begin to emerge from this lockdown period?
period. What are you in faith for? Uh, One of the things I'm praying for is that God will bring about a restoration of backsliders, people who during this lockdown period uh, perhaps have considered again they're standing before God and they're going to find their way back to God and back to uh, a local church. I'm praying for new believers that God will do a, a secret work during this time and that people will consider the matters of or the issues of life and death and become serious about the reality that they themselves one day have got to die and, and face judgment as they come into eternity. My friends, because there is God and because we can pray, anything is possible. Now, you may know that this story of Sarah, which in a way begins with laughter, also ends with laughter. Remember in the story, it's Sarah who hears, albeit behind the tent flap, but she hears the promise of God uh, that she's going to have a baby, and she laughs. But then, when the son is born to her, the name that is given to that son is Isaac. And the name Isaac, in fact, means laughter. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. Just about the only other time in the Bible when the Bible talks about laughing for joy, it is in Psalm 126. It's the first couple of verses there. It says this, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... And surely that's what we're looking for at this time. We're Zion, we're the city of God, we're the people of God. Lord, restore us at this time. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. And I hope in a way you're dreaming for a better future and a a great outcome from all that we've been through. And the psalmist said, our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. In lockdown, have faith in the promises of God. As we emerge from lockdown, have faith in the promises of God. Jesus said, I will build my church. Pray out the promises of God like that which we know. And this season in which we may well have shed tears may eventually be a season that ends with laughter and joy. Father, we thank you for examples of faith. We thank you that even Sarah, who began weak in faith, full of doubts, was a woman who believed in the faithfulness of God and a son was born to her and gave her laughter. And Father, at this time, please strengthen our faith. Lord, we believe. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Help us to get hold of your promises. Help us to believe deep in our heart that nothing is too hard for God. And Father, we pray that as we come out of this difficult time, we may emerge into a new season where you restore our fortunes and where our tears are turned to laughter and to joy. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.